Amen. Amen, church. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're in James chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. And this is a, just a great section of Scripture today on wisdom. We're going to learn five principles today on how to have more wisdom in our everyday lives. And, you know, Jesus told us we are, we are to be people that are be, to be wise. Jesus said, be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. Jesus made it clear that, that it, throughout his, all, all his teaching that we're supposed to be, like we're going to learn today, not just hearers of what we're learning, but doers. We're, going to, we're supposed to be people that have the firm foundation of God's word and the truth of God's word. And so we're going to learn about wisdom today. The word wisdom, interesting word, the original uh, language of the word is skill. And it's talking about learning to have skill in the way we live. And that's what wisdom is. Wisdom isn't just knowledge. It's living out your knowledge with skill. Now, I don't know about you, but I like watching people with skill. I grew up in Chicago, and uh, I grew up during the Michael Jordan years. And I remember going to see Michael Jordan uh, in, his, in, his, in his peak of his career play basketball. It was just fun to watch because he was probably the most skilled basketball player that's ever lived. It's amazing. When, when you watch him, Just he had such incredible skill. And I, I enjoy watching people with skill. And then later, I remember watching Tiger Woods golf and when he was at the height of his career and watching his skill in dominating that sport. There's skill there. But I tell you what, the, the most favorite thing I like to watch is when godly people live in the skill of living out what they're learning in God's Word. I remember as a, a young pastor going to uh, Calvary Chapel Senior Pastor Conferences and seeing my pastor, Pastor Chuck, just his skill in living. I remember watching him and watching him interact with people and pray for people and live for Christ and do ministry. The guy had such skill in living. You know, and, and, and I watched him, and I learned from him, from his wisdom. I could see the skill in daily living from this pastor that pastored me for years. And then I remember as a younger Christian, I remember watching Dr. Dave, the Bible college professor that mentored me, and I watched his skill in daily living. I watched, I'd be in his home having dinner, or I'd be, be uh, there for Bible studies. I'd see his interaction with his wife and his kids. And I saw the way that he lived his life in a godly way with the skill of wisdom. And you know what? That's what wisdom is. It's skill. It takes skill to live a godly life in an ungodly world. It takes skill, as we're going to see this morning, to stay unstained, unstained from the wickedness and the filthiness that's around us all over our culture. It takes skill. And so I'm going to give you some tools this morning on how to have more skill, more wisdom from James. And James, again, good person to learn from. He went on to become the senior pastor of the original church in Jerusalem. James was the brother of Jesus. Who better to learn some skill of living from the guy that grew up with Jesus? James also had a nickname. He was called Camel Knees because he spent so much time praying. He got these large calluses on his knees from praying on his knees. We can learn some things from James this morning on this skill of living, on wisdom. So I'm going to give you five principles this morning if you're taking notes on wisdom from the brother of James or from the brother of Jesus, James. So let's jump right in. James chapter 1, verse 17. If you're there, say amen. There you go. I love it. Music to my ears. We're in the Word together. Chapter, chapter 1 of James, verse 17. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. You know what that tells us about God? First of all, God is the Father of lights. God is the one who is said in Genesis, in the very beginning of creation, let there be light. 
And there was light. Actually, in the Hebrew, he said, light be, light was. And this father of light is a God who is immutable. There's no variation or changing or, 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 or changing in his character. He was, he was the same yesterday. He'll be the same today. He'll be the same forever. He was faithful yesterday. He's faithful today. He'll be faithful tomorrow. He loved you yesterday. He loves you today. He'll love you tomorrow. He provided for you yesterday. He'll provide for you today. He'll provide for you tomorrow. He forgave you yesterday. He'll forgive you today. He'll forgive you tomorrow. You want me to keep going? There's so many things about God that are no variation, no shifting shadow. God is a God who's immutable. He's different than us. We're fickle. We're flaky. He's faithful. And, and what we see in this verse going on, after he's the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. You know what this is saying, first of all? If we want to live in wisdom, first point, we need to be thankful. We need to be thankful for every good and perfect gift in our life, because the source of anything good in our lives, any gifting in our lives, any blessing in our life, the source of that is the Father of lights, who there's no variation, no shifting shadow. And you know what? Wise people are thankful people. Wise people are people that realize that, man, anything in my life that's good is because God's blessed me. You know what? Wise people are thankful people, too, because a part of living in wisdom is living in the will of God. And 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to be right in the center of God's will, be thankful. Also, uh, living, living a, a life of thanksgiving is a living a life that's a spirit-filled life. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with their hearts to the Lord. Notice this, verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. The spiritual life is marked by worship, but it's also marked by thanksgiving. And if we're going to live in wisdom, we need to be thankful people because it's a part of the spirit-filled life. It's having the, 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 the filling of the Holy Spirit as we worship and we're thankful. We're equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit fills those that are thankful. And also, part of living in thanksgiving also, not only does it bring the spiritual life, not only does it put you in the will of God, but also it helps you to be a joyful, joyful Christian. Because those that have an attitude of gratitude and practice thanksgiving on a regular basis are those that say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's in with me, within me. Bless his holy name and forget none of his benefits. And as we are thankful, we're, we're people of joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we need to be people of thanksgiving because it brings God's spirit in our lives, but it also brings God's joy in his presence, his fullness of joy. And you're saying, well, I don't know. There's not a lot to be thankful for right now. We're in the midst of a pandemic. We're in the midst of all of my business and all my work and uh, everything's shut down. I can't see people I want to see. We can't even go to church right now inside. And it's easy to get into the cynical uh, negative mode during a time like we're in right now. But in the midst of that, the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord when we're, through the, when we're through the pandemic. Is that what it says? No, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. 
Again, I say rejoice. And again, in everything, not in some things, in everything, give thanks for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. And we have a lot to be thankful for. Think about it. Just, just what we read, we're th- we should be thankful for the rest of eternity that he brought us forth by the word of truth and caused us to be born again and saved us. He rescued us from the pit of hell. And he changed our lives. And he forgave us and gave us salvation instead of damnation. If, the, if that was the only thing we have, we should be thankful for the rest of eternity just for the way that he brought us forth by the word of truth. But we have a lot more to be thankful for, too. Think about it. You're living in, we're living in the greatest country in the world. We're living in the United States of America where there's such prosperity and such blessing and such, such opportunities here. If, if, we should be thankful just because we have the privilege of being a citizens of the greatest country in the world. We should be thankful for if we have a home. The Bible says if you have food and covering, be content. Be thankful for the way God's provided for you. And he meets all our needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. We should be thankful for that. We should be thankful always for the word of God. We have such privilege in this country to have the word of God on TV, the word of God on the radio, word of God in Christian bookstores, word of God on churches and ministries dotted all across this land. We should be thankful for the word of God. We should be thankful, too, for the... uh, the families that we have. You know, it's amazing how we've been blessed with such great families. I, I was thinking about that this week. This morning, as I was having my quiet time, uh, I was thinking about just this last week, I had the privilege of spending a couple days with um, my, my second son, David, and his, his wife, Courtney, and we were at the beach for a couple days. I had an amazing time with them. And then just this weekend, uh, my other son, Daniel, and my daughter-in-law, uh, Kylie Ann, came, and we spent the whole weekend with them. And, and you know, I was just thinking, as I was having my quiet time this morning, I'm just so thankful for my family. Man, thank you, Lord. And you know what? I'm thankful, too, for my church family here. I was thinking about that this morning, too. I, I got a great family with great kids, but I also got a great family with you all, with the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm thankful for you all. We're brothers and sisters, and we're committed to each other as a spiritual family, and I'm thankful for that. And everything, give thanks but this is God's will in, uh, for us in Christ Jesus. And that's a part of living in wisdom. It's not going into the negativity and this cynicism and the bitterness of the world. But in everything, we're going to be thankful. We're going to be thankful Christians. That's part of living in wisdom. Let's go on now. And then it says, second principle for wisdom. This you know, my beloved brethren. Oh, this is a tough one. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Second principle for wisdom, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We just do just the opposite so many times, don't we? And I tell you what, if we want more wisdom in our relationships, if we want more wisdom in our marriages, if we want more wisdom in our parenting, if we want more wisdom in our work relationships, if we want more wisdom in our friendships, we need to think more before we speak. And oftentimes we think not before we speak, we speak, and then we think about later, we shouldn't have said that. That problem could be solved if we have the wisdom to be quicker to hear, slower to speak, and slower to anger. And I'm preaching to myself here, church. My job is to be a communicator. 
I make a living communicating. I'm, I talk a lot. And you know what? I'm a, I'm not, I have a double whammy there. I'm a communicator, but I'm also a competitor. And sway too many times, especially in my marriage, I tell you what, instead of listening and active listening and being quick to hear, I'm quick to speak. And sometimes as I'm, as I'm getting into this thing with Heidi, if we have a conflict or there's something going on, what, what happens sometimes is I'm already thinking about what I'm going to say and just waiting for her to be done so I could say the next thing instead of actively trying to hear what she's saying and actively listening. And don't look at me like that because if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And way too many times in my marriage, I haven't practiced this principle of wisdom and there's words coming out of my mouth, and I didn't think about what I was going to say. And as they're coming out of my mouth, I wish I could grab those words and put them back in my mouth. Because I wasn't quick to hear, I was quick to speak. And I didn't practice this principle for wisdom. I think about our beginning years of our marriage. I said some things that I would pay a lot of money right now to take back. Because I said them quickly rather than smartly. And I tell you what, if we want more wisdom, church, if we want more wisdom, let's be quicker to hear. Let's be slower to speak. And let's be slower to anger. Because, again, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And I tell you what, as we learn, we're going to see at the end of this chapter, a part of that is learning to put a bridle in taming our tongue. And as we do that, we're going to have more wisdom in our relationships. And let's go on. So the second principle, again, is to... uh, um, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Third principle, look at verse 21. It says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. Now, when it says putting aside, what it's saying there is take off. Literally, another translation says lay aside all filthiness. It could be uh, used of the words that it's talking about when you lay aside dirty clothes and you take off dirty clothes and you put on clean clothes. And what it's saying is if we're going to live in wisdom, there needs to be some repentance. We need to get rid of the filthiness in our lives and the wickedness in our lives. Interesting, the word there for uh, filthiness also could be translated uh, earwax. You know why? There's an implication there. Sometimes filthiness and wickedness in our lives is like an earwax that's stopping us from hearing and humbly receiving the word of God, which is able to save our souls. Get rid of the earwax of filthiness and wickedness in our lives, and you'll be able to hear the word of God better. I've talked to some people in my office, counseling, whatever else, and they'll say, you know, I I come to church, I read my Bible, get nothing out of it, John. I come to Calvary Chapel, and I read my Bible, and I'm not getting, receiving anything. Two issues oftentimes, and I'll address it. I'll try to do it in a gracious way. But two issues sometimes when you're not receiving from God's word. One might be pride. If you think you know it already, God's going to say, since you know it all, I'm not going to teach you anymore. And that's why it says, humbly receive God's word. But a second issue might be sin. It says, it says there that filthiness and wickedness is right in is like an earwax again that can keep you from hearing what God wants to speak into your lives. And so what do we do? First of all, we humble ourselves so we want to receive more from God's word. We stay teachable. But second thing we do is we repent. And if there's things in our life that's blocking us from hearing God's word and receiving from God's word, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, he will forgive us and then he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
I love Acts chapter 319. It says, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing, notice, may come from the presence of the Lord. You see that imagery? Repentance. It comes. And as we do that, as we repent, repent means we turn away from sin and we turn back for living for God. What happens then is the presence and the refreshment of the Lord is a result of repentance. And you start hearing the voice of God again. It's wonderful. So repentance and humility, you receive the word of God. It's implanted into your life. And you'll start hearing again and being blessed by God's word. Hmm. I had uh, two different times in my life where I prayed the sinner's prayer. It's interesting because first time was uh, the summer before my junior year in high school. And I, some guys were witnessing to me at the sports camp we were at. I went down by a river up in the Smoky Mountains, and I prayed the sinner's prayer because they were telling me to, and I did. But I didn't fully understand the gospel. And I remember coming back uh, to school, high school, my junior year, after praying by that river, the sinner's prayer, I went back to all my old friends, went back to all my drunk parties, I went back to all the immorality, I went back to swearing like a sailor. I didn't change at all. I just prayed some prayer. I didn't repent. But then by the end of the year of junior year, God broke me. And I prayed a sincere prayer where I really opened my heart to Jesus and I repented. My whole life was changed. Now, does that mean I became perfect? No, I still had struggles. I still had sins. I still had things. And I still to this day struggle and sin. But my life changed through repentance. And I remember coming to Christ for real at the end of my junior junior high school. And I remember, like yesterday, that as I repented and in humility started going to Bible studies and learning God's word, I grew like a weed spiritually. I mean, it was amazing how much I was receiving from God's word. Why? Because I had genuinely come to Christ and I had genuinely repented and started living for Christ. You want to get more of God of God's word, make sure you stay humble and you stay repentant because otherwise filthiness and wickedness could block spiritually our ears to hear what God wants to speak to each one of us. And that's a part of living in, in uh, wisdom is repenting of sin and humbly receiving God's word. Now let's look at the next principle for wisdom. It says this, but Christians, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Now notice, James, he shoots straight, doesn't he? He says this, you want to live in wisdom? Be a doer of God's word. Don't just be a hearer of God's word who deludes himself. The word for delude there deceives themselves. Actually, it's a, a, a mathematic term that means ca- miscalculates. If, you, if you're thinking you could just hear God's word and then not live it and live any way you want to live, you're miscalculating your Christianity. I like what Warren Worsby said about this. He said this, just hearing the word of God is not enough. We must do it. Many people have the mistaken idea that hearing a good sermon or sitting in on a Bible study is what makes them grow and receive God's blessing. But the doing brings the blessing, not the hearing. Too many Christians, check this out, too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. If we think we're spiritual because we hear the Word of God, then we're only kidding ourselves if we're not living it. Be a hearer. You want wisdom? Have a commitment in your life to be a hearer of God's word and not just a doer who's deluding themselves. And it says and if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. 
For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But notice verse 25. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. I love that. You know what I'm saying? You move into this mode of not only hearing God's word, but doing God's word. God's word's going to be perfect. You know what that means? It's infallible. It's inerrant. It'll be perfect to teach you the way you need to live. And not only that, God's word, as we not only hear it and do it, God's word becomes a law of liberty. You know what that's saying? God's word is not there to reign on our parade, to restrict our lives, to make our lives less fun. God's word is there. To bless us. And that's what he says. You become not only a hearer of God's word, but a doer of God's word. You're going to be blessed in your life. Blessing comes from obedience to God's word and living out what you're learning in God's word. And it becomes, I love this, it becomes a law of liberty. It sets you free. Isn't that what Jesus said? You shall know the truth. And what? The truth will set you free. I love that. I love the fact that God's word is not burdensome, as 1 John 5, 3 says. God's word is there to bless us and to set us free, and it will as we do that. And so the fourth principle there is be not just a hearer of God's word, but a doer of God's word. Have a commitment in your life of obedience to God's word, and it will bring blessing and liberty into your life. And then it goes on in verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and doesn't brattle his own tongue, but deceives his own heart. Wow. This man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained, unstained by the world. Here's the last principle for wisdom. First principle was be thankful. Second principle, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Third principle, repent of sin, humbly receive God's word. Fourth principle, be a doer of God's word. Here's the last one. Very simple. James shooting straight again. Tame your tongue. Help the helpless. And be holy. Tame your tongue. Help the helpless. And be holy. Notice the imagery there again, the analogy. We're supposed to put a bridle on our tongues. What are, what's a bridle for? A bridle's on a horse so the master can direct the horse. And so if we're going to live in wisdom, we have to have our tongues under the master's control. And again, that's a part of the spirit-filled life. And as, as, you, as you allow the master, Jesus Christ, to control and tame your tongue, you'll live in wisdom. Bridle your tongue. Bless people more and gossip less. Bring healing to people through your tongue rather than hurt. Bring edification to others through your tongue rather than demeaning. Bring love through your tongue rather than hate. That's taming your tongue. That's putting a bridle on your tongue, and that's wisdom. That's wisdom. And the the next thing interesting there, too, is help the helpless. Notice it's talking about widows and orphans. In the first century culture, when the Bible was written, New Testament was written, the, the orphans and widows in that culture, many of them, were not only destitute, they were homeless. So you know what the church did? church started a whole ministry to widows and orphans. We see that in Acts chapter 6, to the widows. And what they did is they started helping the helpless. And you know that's the spirit of Christ? 
Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of them, you're doing unto me. And we should help people that it can't even help us. We should have the spirit of Christ that says, I'm going to help people, even though there's no way they could pay me back or help me back, I'm going to help them. Why should we do that? Because that's what God did for us. When he reached down and rescued us from our sin, we were helpless. And God helped us and saved us. And now again, Jesus says, I saved you. I helped you when you were helpless. I want you to help helpless people too. I want you to love people that even can't help you back. Interesting what God says about widows and orphans in the Old Testament. It says this, Psalm 68, 5, God is a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows. Is God in his holy habitation. Then Exodus 22, verse 22, it says, You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict him at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry, and my anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fathers. In other words, don't, God says, don't mess with or hurt the widows and orphans, because I love them, and he has a heart for the helpless, and we should have a heart for the helpless also. And then the last thing that James kind of ends the chapter with is stay unstained from the world. If we're going to be a doer of God's word, we've got to have a commitment. As Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as holy and living sacrifices, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And listen, don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect for your life. Stay unstained from the world. That's wisdom. Even though the world's getting filthier, Jesus said it would. He said in the last days, lawlessness will increase. But you know what the good news is? As it gets darker, we get to shine brighter. We get to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and you know, Jesus said about this in regards to being unstained. He said this in Matthew 7, 7, 20. He said, so then you will know them by their fruits. Talking about his disciples. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But who does the will of God, my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. We're to be fruitful, fruit-bearing Christians that are unstained by the world. I love what Jesus said about this also. He said this, hey, Christians, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Christians, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Christians, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And then glorify your Father who's in heaven. You know, again, going back to my spiritual pilgrimage, I remember as a young teenager being in a high school where there were some real Christians. And those Christians started witnessing to me. And I remember watching their lives, even before I became a Christian and came to Christ, I remember seeing these Christians, I call them straight arrows. Because I saw in these Christians something different. I saw in these Christians in my high school that, man, they, they had a bridle on their tongues. We, I, I'm from Chicago, and in Chicago, everybody laces their sentences with profanity. That's just the culture. And I remember these Christians in our high school, they, they didn't swear. They didn't put every, uh, punctuate every sentence with a swear word, like the rest of us high school students were doing. 
They had a purity in their speech. As Jesus said, out of the abundance of their heart, their mouth was speaking. And I saw that in these Christians. I saw that they were using their tongue, too, to not insult people and ridicule people and slander people. They were saying words of edification and blessing, rather, in their words oftentimes. I saw, too, that they loved people. They actually cared for people that weren't popular. They loved people that were even helpless, like me. And not only that, but they, they were different. They were holy. <clears throat> Again, my nickname for them was, these guys are straight arrows. Because they were. They lived it. There was, there was this there was the unstainedness of the filthiness of the rest of the people I knew. There was a purity in their lives. Now, they weren't perfect. They still had sin. <clears throat> they still made mistakes. But they had this, this holiness. You could see <clears throat> in their behaviors. It was wonderful. And it took me a while. It took me months. <clears throat> but through their witness and through their sharing Christ with me and then living it, and then through them not only just being people that were speaking about their Christianity, but they were living their Christianity, I, I came to Christ at the end of that junior year. And it was a real conversion because I saw real Christians. Hey, let's do that for some other people. Amen? May some other people in our spheres of influence see wisdom in our lives. May some other people in the sphere of our influence, maybe extended family, maybe people we work with, maybe in our neighborhood, may they see that we're Christians that are not just saying we're Christians, we're being Christians. We're not just hearers of God's word, we're doers of God's word. We're Christians that are bridling our tongues. We're Christians that are helping the helpless. We're Christians that are living holy lives. We're Christians that are quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger, because the anger of God does not achieve the righteousness, uh, or the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. May we be Christians that are Christians that are committed to being skillful in the way we live. Amen, church? Can I get an amen on that?